What's going on, people? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast for another episode. Thank you so much for your help and support so far. I really appreciate all of you listening and watching. It really means a lot to me. Thank you very much. Uh, you join me today for another special episode, which I'm joined by the incredible actor that is Adrian Schiller. Did I say that right? Is it Schiller? It is right. Yes, that's yeah. right. Perfect. Yes, we got off to a good start. Uh, Adrian is an accomplished actor who's worked over theatre, film, TV, and of course in commercials and also video games for any of the younger audiences listening in today. Uh, we'll start with that. His video game credits include Assassin's Creed 3, GoldenEye, Nightcrawler, and Castlevania, in case any of you remember those games from back in the day. Uh, he has appeared in commercials. And most I, I remember seeing this one on TV a lot was the think uh commercial for drink driving where i think about 40 seconds adrian manages to do accents from every corner of the country <laughs> talking about the negative side of drink driving of course there isn't a positive it's it's really bad for so but it was an incredible 40 second advert which stuck out in my mind which i just thought hang on i remember seeing that somewhere that's great uh, but anyway uh across film tv and theater his tv credits include the it crowd victoria Undercover, Endeavour, Doctor Who, The Bill, Ashes to Ashes, Silent Witness, Judge John Deed, and Prime Suspect. In film, he has appeared in Paul Stewart, Frankenstein, Tolkien, The Danish Girl, The Mercy, and The Man Who Winds His Own Watch. On stage, he has appeared in Macbeth, Three Sisters, The Veil, A Christmas Carol, The Changeling, Taming of the Shrew, Julius Caesar, The Caretaker, The Dumbwaiter, and of course, The Crucible. And I must stress, this is just a small summary of the epic amount of work that this man has done. If I read out his entire CV, we would probably take up the whole episode. So that is just a summary of some of his incredible work. And so it's a genuine pleasure to have you on today, Adrian. So thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, good, good stuff. So that's where we came on. It's uh, It's been a weird time for the industry because we were just talking about film and, and TV as sort of got things managed to keep things going roughly after the first few months but uh, what's been your experience of things have you sort of gone through the pandemic relatively okay well I had a couple of there was a couple of tv things that I had booked in which disappeared because they they were cancelled in the um when the pandemic first hit and people didn't really know how to cope with it mm. um but tv producers tv crews are problem solvers by nature mm. because most of the things that you're well, <clears throat> inevitably there are some things in the making of a tv program which involve solving problems which are unusual problems so in fact you know the pandemic was a larger problem but one that was soluble with people mm. being very careful about you know social distancing health masks whatever it might be mm. so once once they sort of got the hang of it um tv and film started up again relatively quickly um, they obviously didn't have the problem of audiences in closed spaces, which has made life much more difficult for theatre and been really tragic for theatre, I think. Um, yeah, usually. Yeah, we, we, we sort of got, uh, well, I got started again towards the end of uh, 2020. I think I finished doing season four of The Last Kingdom. I think it was that, sort of the end of 2019. And then nothing really happened until end of August, October, maybe October, September, October, 2020, <clears throat> when things started moving again. And then I did um, season five of The Last Kingdom, which was sort of the first six, eight months this year. And now I'm sitting on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it won't be for long. I'm sure it won't be for long. Um, I, did, no, I, did do, I did do a voiceover for a video game, but I can't. I can't even tell you that much, probably, without getting sued by someone okay. with lots of money. So I shan't even tell you that. Guys, so keep that on the download because we don't know who's listening. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> these production companies have got ears everywhere. Uh, and they do. So, yeah. <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, it's okay. <coughs> Inhaling my coffee. Right. Yeah, that's fine. It's essentials first thing in the afternoon. Uh, so, yeah, but it's, it's good to have a kind of a perspective on things now because, again, it's, I'm so pleased to have the theatres back you know because that was a thing a, a huge miss for well not only for keen theatre goers and actors but just well yeah for those for, for, for everyone really you know it was it really 
it did rip the heart out, I think, of a lot of people, the fact we didn't have theatres, because they did come back for a bit, and then they didn't, and then they went away again, and they were back, and then they went away, and, you know, it was really frustrating, but I think now... Yeah, and, there, and there's been, it seems that there have been much more stringent rules applied to theatres than there have been to, you know, lots of other indoor events, which is really, it seems rather unfair. Um, you know, it's the same, the same rules are not applied to nightclubs or to you know, admittedly outdoor activities like football games and so on, but, mm. you know, there are ways of handling crowds, which are fair. Right. Anyway, anyway. It's certainly done. A, it's, always, it's always been a precarious industry, um, and even the very big producers have been hit very hard. Mm. So it, it's going to take a while to build back up again, but it is at least functioning. Yeah, well, we're on the up now, which is the most important thing. It's going to get better from now on, which I think is the important thing. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so I think for today, uh, the main sort of focus today, I really want, want to talk to you about uh, the first thing I ever saw you in, which was uh, which was The Crucible uh, at the Old Vic, the exceptional production that was on in 2014. It was yourself and a cast with Richard Armitage and Jack Ellis putting on Arthur Miller's you know, classic play, The Crucible, talking about the allegory to McCarthyism in the 1950s. And it's very, I can't really put into words how I felt during that performance because it, I, I, I looked at after I looked at The Crucible in school. And to be honest with you, as a 13-year-old, as a I didn't really understand a word. Of it. it didn't really speak to me at all. But then once I saw you guys do it and you really understood the meaning and everything sort of fell into place, it was that I was thinking, what wow, this is just fantastic. This is just an exceptional play. Um, I mean, I suppose to start at the beginning. So did you did you have to audition for it, or did they say, is it Adrian? You know, no, I did audition for it. Um, I think I mean Yale is South African. Uh, the director, your father, is South African, and um, I don't think she. Um, knew English actors or British actors um well enough to simply cast it mm. um so she wanted to see people um it was cast by um the fantastic maggie lunn who unfortunately has since died but um she's absolutely inspirational casting director um who are people that you that they really are very i mean a good a casting director of maggie's talent is is unusual and she she really, you know, to use a to coin a phrase, makes a crucible in which to um, put all these people to make a cast. And she's she's very very influential over her directors and very imaginative and inspired in her casting. So, but yes, I, so I met I met Yale. Um, I read for a couple of parts actually, um, and uh, yeah, and then she offered me the part, so that was great. Good. Uh, which other part did you have to read for? Um, I looked at Paris as well. Oh, Paris, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I think the guy who was with the cast with you, who played Paris, is sadly passed. Yeah. He's also passed, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely lovely man and incredibly talented. Yeah, it's, uh, it's such a shame because. Well, he and I and Chris Godwin um, shared shared a dressing room, yeah, and it was one of the happiest happiest times I've had actually. <laughs> Sort of three old duffers could have. I loved it. I mean, I watched the rich. Of course, you you did the show with Richard Armitage as well, which was, which which was amazing because he was. I was a big fan, having from the the Hobbit, and everything, and like to see him, like in the well, to see him do John Proctor was just amazing. And he, he told yeah. story, he's, he's one of the most dedicated artists. Yeah, one of the most dedicated artists I've ever come across. He's very, he's, he very much keeps his counsel. Um, um, he doesn't talk much. He gets on with it. He's all, he's, he's always, you know, he's always giving hundred percent all, all the way through rehearsal. Um, and the amount of energy he put into that performance, how he managed to do that eight times a week. And keep his voice apart from anything else, mm. because my God, he was pushing it. But um, yeah, he was—he's really exceptional mm. performer. Uh, simply from the point of view of stamina, quite apart from his talent. I mean, just such a strong person. 
in every sense. Mm. I suppose working with him must have been because you say he didn't. Did you say he didn't give a lot in rehearsal? So he kept. Uh, well, no, he 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 just kept his counsel. I mean, he he would speak if he had something to say, but um, um, wiser than than many of us, and myself included, he just you know keeps his mouth shut if he hasn't. Um, <laughs> other people feel the need to talk something mm. simply because there's a there's a gap <laughs> <laughs> Richard isn't one of them he just listens he's a which I think is a, a something for for many many actors to realize that they need to do mm. yeah only speak when it's necessary no well, yeah I mean I mean I think in terms of if you're trying to con if you're trying to contribute to the to the general, I mean, whatever, whatever it is, really. If you've got something to say about a performance, which is not necessarily entirely about your own performance, but generally about the whole thing, you know, make sure you really mean it, um, and only say it once, you know. And if people, if it doesn't take hold, then you haven't communicated it properly or whatever, you know. It's just, just, it's, it's there isn't room for too many voices in the rehearsal room. It gets, no. No. it's crowded very quickly. No, because otherwise, it's just. It, it, it literally just ends up being noise doesn't it it doesn't you know there is no well yeah it does a, it does a bit I mean I've, I've been guilty of this myself in the past I know um and I think you know it depends on people's individual character um and their confidence but um but you know it's it's it'll it'll usually it'll usually be the the men Mm. <laughs> and probably the white men, to be quite frank, who are making their voices heard. Probably most likely, yeah. <laughs> so it's you know, it's quite it's quite a good idea to just really check the the thing that you want to say really needs to be said. Mm. Not, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't remember who said it. I think it was a Greek philosopher said if you'd rather be mistaken for a fool than open your mouth and prove prove yourself to be one. I yes. remember who said that. I'm not sure if it's Plato or Marcus Aurelius. I'm not sure. But yes, I've, I've I've come across that one a few times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. Me too, <laughs> for sure. Uh, speaking of which, um, so that sort of brings me on to the first question for today um, about this about this production. Uh, Yael really strikes me as an amazing person. Like you know, she, you know, she, I think uh, Richard gave a Q and A actually, which is on Digital Theatre Plus now. If anyone wants to go and watch it about he talks about how Yal's background as she grew up in apartheid South Africa and you know she knows the the message and the context of what this play was all about she knew the message that she, this play wanted to send out into the world and and she talks about the visceral qualities as well how the emotions are not in the head they're actually in the body and you have to sort of summon it up and make it a full body experience not only for yourself but well for the audience but for yourselves as well so I suppose, well, just to begin with, what was it like sharing a room with 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 Yael? What did she? What was her rehearsal? Yeah, Yael leads very much from the front. Um, she's an auteur, um, and as you say, she she wants the the creative process to sort of to be a visceral one rather than an intellectual one. Um, partly because the intellectual one invites the sort of discussion that we were just sort of talking about, which is um, it, it belongs in a different place mm. from from the thing that she wanted. Um, I mean, I think Miller wrote a play. And don't forget, this is it's a, it's a play against the background of of Puritan Protestantism mm. in the 17th century, which is a very peculiar thing. Um, but it's usually presented with all these very sort of uptight people, you know, mm. very sort of bound in and very clean and all that sort of, that, that sort of presentation. So the, um, the it's sort of through, pers it's sort of through tight-lipped tight and everyone's, mm, very tight mm. and she wants to rip all that away and say mm. well actually no they're farmers living in a in a you know very unfriendly um land 
Um, they've got the sea on one side, they've got the Native Americans on the other side. They're living in fear of God and in fear of each other. Um, and, it's, and it's dirty and brutal. And we've got to tear all that, all the, all, all the sort of pretense of civilization as the thinnest veneer, which, which falls away at the, in a moment. So, mm. so to get to that, we don't want to worry about what we look like or, or whether we present ourselves properly. We want to worry about the raw, the raw of agony, um, the roar of misunderstanding, the roar of guilt and shame, and the fact that it's always somebody else's fault, mm. um, and that it, and and that it's so dangerous. The penalty, the penalty for getting things wrong, the penalty for these accusations was death and imprisonment and whipping and mm. stones laid on your chest. It's it's a very very brutal world. So she wasn't interested in the way in which the brutal world was held in, which I think is what people often do with that play, to say it's brutal underneath, but we're going to hold it all in. She said, no, fuck the holding it all in. I want to see it. <laughs> so let's, we'll start from there. And um, so it's all, yeah, so it's all, it's a, it's a very dirty world. Um, and the people are very animalistic. Yeah. Uh, and they react very fast. And they're very instinctive, I think. Um, so, yeah. So she tried to base it around, uh, a, a lot of the work was based around physical activity. We had, we had a lot of, um, we, we always have now as physical warm-up at the beginning of every rehearsal section, which, which usually then moved into some creative movement process which may or may not have been incorporated into the play but it was to do with exploring things physically mm. um, and then you know straight from that into into rehearsing scenes in the usual sort of way but it's a very long play now, i think we had six weeks to rehearse it which is not enough that's that's not that's not, that's not long at all only six weeks well i mean six weeks is six weeks is pretty generous it may have been more i'm not sure but i mean in the modern theatre, you don't usually get more. Producers just won't cough up for that period of time. So, <clears throat> um, so yeah, it's a lot to get done. It's a lot to get done. I mean, the, and the production in the end was nearly four hours long. It was three hours, 40 minutes or something. And it was more or less uncut. I think it was uncut, actually. I'm not sure. Um, so really, yeah, working with Yale was, it, she's, she's quite a tough taskmistress and that's the way she likes it. And you just have to get used to it because there's no way around it. <laughs> <laughs> you know who's in charge in that rehearsal room and it's her and that's all yeah. there is to it. Yeah, I mean, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's available, again, it's available on digital theatre. Just go and watch it. It's just incredible. Um, was that how the opening sequence happened? Because you were all, you all did like a movement based kind of exercise to actually open up the show. Yeah, right? that was sort of, but I think, as I recall, I mean, we did, we didn't really do the opening um, movement uh, until we got into the tech, because it, it was something that she needed to see in situ. Because I mean, the, the, the way the old Vic was, they'd rearranged the old Vic for that season, so it was sort of in the round. They were, they were, they were seating all the way around the stage. The stage was moved forward over what was the orchestra pit. Mm. Um, and so to really understand how that was all working with the dragging of the chairs and the people looking and all the rest of it, it was, it needed to be done with lights and sound on the stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, we put a lot of time into that, but I think that she she felt, and quite correctly, that you know you needed to to really start with a bang so that everybody could, you know, yeah. see what's going on. It was quite it was quite an entrance. <laughs> it was quite quite a beginning. Quite a beginning. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Um, I think it was Matt Wolf who talked to Richard about this as well. He said that he. Been, he was a he was a theatre critic. Said that he'd ever, he'd never seen a production of the Crucible which had so much body to it, and that 
again that visceral quality and i think that's a testament to yarl's ability to say look we're not gonna we're not gonna push the emotions into our bodies we're gonna get them in our bodies and then just explode them out for everyone to see them because this is what it's all about yeah and yeah and i mean you have to i mean you know you start the play starts with a bunch of white people bullying a black slave yeah i mean it's very uncomfortable yeah it's very very uncomfortable and you know as a as a south african she knew what that was um but sarah niles who played tituba um i know that it was emotionally very hard for her to do that night after night after night i bet it was yeah but that's that's sort of what yeah would ask people they would say all right uh, you know for this to be a good show i want this to hurt you know i want it to you know and that's what you're going to have to do yeah and what yeah what better play to really rip your heart out than the crucible to you know yeah yeah i mean there, there was to me there was always the irony that the that the play is, I mean, it was written as you as you rightly say, as a reaction to McCarthyism, and it's you know it's a it's a furious um, cry out against proto-fascism, um, um, and yet um, Yale would brook no contradiction in her rehearsal room. <laughs> there's a little bit of but Yale don't shut up you're doing it my way but isn't that what the shut up you're doing it my way <laughs> but I mean you know uh, the rule the rules in a rehearsal room are not quite the same thing as yeah. in the country oh, I just wish I could see that you guys just scared to put your hand up and say yeah well, I think this scene could well, be no I don't think people were exactly scared to do it <laughs> no, that's not that's not true but she <laughs> she was she wished to wished it to be clear that discussion would be at a minimum and that the action would be at a maximum. That's mm. the only way to get it done. Yeah, because if, if you just sit around the table discussing ideas, you know, you're writing an academic paper, you're not actually putting on a piece of theatre, you know. You could... I think there are different there, I think there are very there are there are plenty of good ways to get into um, effective results in theatre. Mm. Um, I think if you spoke to Patrick Marber about, you know, Leopoldstadt now mm. with his vast cast and, and Tom Stoppard, I'm sure there was plenty of intellectual discussion, historical discussion, all the rest of it. Was yeah. yeah. Um, the people have the different different strokes, but um, uh, that, that is Yale's way. She mm. She's trying to find the animal law that lies underneath whatever it is. She wouldn't be interested in it otherwise. Mm. Um, yeah that's fascinating i hope i i really hope i get to work with her one day she sounds like an incredible not only just director but kind of person as well because her history and what she's been through and that'd be amazing to to actually hear it from her so yeah that'd be amazing um but just in terms of you know as you talked about there that opening scene you know bunch of white people you know being essentially you know, bullying a black slave and your character reverend hale was kind of at the nucleus of that of that um that bullying towards the end of act one where he's saying look titchberg we need you to wake this child god will bless you for your help we need you to do this you know you have you certainly have put these children in this in this state and i need you to wake them up and she's going i have no idea i have no idea how to do it but you're going no you do know how to do it but when she doesn't mm. so, well what was that to to play like night after night being it's, it's not very comfortable. No, definitely not comfortable. Um, but um, I think that, that Hale is Hale is a, is a absolutely committed to. Uh, I think he's he is a good man mm. who is who regards his fidelity to his faith. And the rules of a rules-based religion, a very much rules-based religion, as being essential. Mm. Um, and it's only later in the play that he sort of moves to the idea. Well, it, he, he, it's a rules-based on on the assumption that the rules are just. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. they are by definition just because they are God's rules. Mm. Um, and it's only later on in the play that I think that he 
the humanity in him it's, it has it comes to recognize the injustice mm. of the application of those rules yeah. which is what makes him start rethinking his position um but he's in a way he has to he has to suffer the pain of being cruel in order to be just it's you know it's it's the cruel to be kind it's the it's the excuse of despots mm. um, all over the world and has been for forever but i mean yeah on a personal level it was it was a, it was a weird thing to do but on a from character's point of view he felt he was doing the right thing mm. characters always I mean, it's very, very unusual to have a character who's setting out to do ill mm. just for the hell of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, malcontents, malcontents in Jacobean theatre sometimes express that. They just mm. say, you know, fuck it. If I can't get things the way I want, the, the, the good way, then I'll do it the bad way. And uh, we, only, we only, you know, we only live once. But they, they are unusual. Mm. <clears throat> develops that um hand tremor doesn't he throughout act well throughout act three well i yeah that was something that came actually to be during the performance of it um the he says that he 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 says that he that, that his hands started shaking during the trial scene he says mm. you know that this started and i realized i i, I, mean, I think we'd already started performing it I, i'm sure we had it was a couple of weeks in or something mm. And there's nothing in the script to say that it stops. So I just kept it. I just thought, I thought well, if he's, you know, why, why it's, it's, you know, it's a sort of nervous thing that he can't control. Yeah. Um, so I kept it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was really effective because there was, was like a constant reminder of what you just said. Like he thought what he was doing was just, but it actually he was blinded by the court and the sort of and the injustice of the court in a way to until he realized on his own that what he was doing was in fact was in fact abnormal was what was unjust for that well i i think that there is a there is a a journey that has been described in in sort of religious progress from the assumption that deities whatever deities they might be are can do the first assumption is deities are very powerful so they can do whatever they like mm. it doesn't necessarily mean they're just but then people who are worshipping them can either be in the relationship of sort of slaves where you just got to do it because they're more powerful than you are and then people will say well that's not a moral position is it a moral position would be i will I will follow a just God and I will fight against the unjust God. Yeah. Mm. They may be more powerful, but the moral thing to do is to fight against them. Um, so at that point, you're starting to judge whether the God is just or not. And then after a while, you realize that it's not whether the God is just, it's the judgment about whether the God is just lies with the human. Mm. So this is what this is Hale's process he's assuming the justice of god then he's seeing the injustice of the things done in god's name then he is deciding that he needs to judge and having judged he rejects the god or he rejects that version of it mm. um and that's that's a that's a sort of process within protestantism which is quite well you know mm. documented yeah I, I often another question i thought of was you know do you think do you think well, it's kind of two in one, really. Do you think Hale looks back at his action, like in Act in Act Four? Does he look back over his actions in Act One, like in your mind, Act One, Act Two, and does he see the devil in himself, or did you feel like the devil in Act One and Act Two? I don't think so. Not really. I don't think I saw it in those terms. I think I, I think he feels culpable for what has happened, particularly to the Proctors. Mm. Um, not just for the proctors actually but and he he wishes 
to um to to take some of the punishment on himself mm. so you know that's why he's living in the he's living in the same place that they are or you're coming to the prison every day and he's in rags and he sort of had his his 40 days and nights in the wilderness mm. um beforehand i mean he goes off to the he goes off to the forest and then he comes back again it's not really explained it's a um, but it does does feel like a sort of, you know, a penitence that he's that he's undertaking, and and I think he feels very very responsible for the fact that the that so many of these people uh, have been put in this position. It, it was it was he who said that there was undoubtedly undoubtedly witchcraft at play. That, that you know that there there were foul spirits abroad. Mm. They had to be brought, and as a result of that. Um, the the larger court, the the more powerful judges from higher in the church came to Solomon, and, and you know, and I think he feels very responsible. Um, and then he, but he, and he comes up against this absolutely immovable rock of John Proctor, mm. who will not lie, because. John Proctor sees himself as directly, and this is everything he's known for all his life. It's the one thing that you never do is lie. And he will not lie to save himself. Mm. And it's, it's, but so yes, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that Hale regrets enormously his actions in the opening part of the play. Yeah. But I don't think he sees himself <clears throat> as being the devil. I think he seems, sees himself as, Someone who was led led astray, perhaps by his own by his by his own hubris. Yeah, and imagining himself to be, you know, because he's this sort of bright young spark, or not young, but you know, this this bright, up and coming, intellectual heavyweight. He's got his books. He knows it all. <laughs> uh, he takes it very seriously and does it with humility. And then he realizes later that actually it was not humility; it was hubris. Mm. It was, enormous presumption that he could know this stuff yeah and terrible he, mistakes as a result yeah he's more of the um the people you root for in act three because he questions the the ideas of the court and uh and he comes out very strongly against downforce doesn't he? oh very strongly and yeah we don't like downforce very much because he's a well, oh, monker, so you know he's a monster he's a monster downforce. <laughs> that's absolutely horrible so yeah. we're probably we're probably We'll get we'll, we're down with anybody who answers back to downfall. Oh, yeah, and 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 the, the you know the others. I mean, I think this is something that that Yale really brought out very strongly. Is you know the the fear and the yes men and you know so um, Paris's behaviour in the court scene is just it's just awful. It's awful. Yeah, um, and I forget the character's name now. Um, the chap who's going around arresting them all, who's sort of Chiva, yeah, Chiva, yeah. who's who's now now the sort of you know just going around with his wagon and he's he's like some you know, ghastly yeah guy child, from child catcher. Dad's, yeah. dad's army, you know, yeah, like like a child catcher or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely horrible. And but how how will these people? some through fear, some through worry about money. Because don't forget, a lot of this stuff at the beginning is about people arguing about property, mm. about who owns the wood, yeah. who owns the forest. Yeah, where's my there's, lumber? <laughs> there's, all these, there's all these sort of seams of resentment mm. run through that cross over different and factionalised people within the community who've yeah. never actually named the thing that they're worried about or or really stood up, but they just, you know. Yeah. And they start having, they, so they all got different motivations. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the poor family who've never had a child or the child, that, the, 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 all the, chi the children that died. Yeah, the Putnams, yeah. Putnams, yeah. But they, but they will not, they can't accept that it was just bad luck or yeah. they see it as a reflection on themselves. But because they see it as a reflection on themselves, that is that in some sense then they are damned, you know, they are 
So they have to say it's somebody else's fault. Someone's been coming in and, and killing their children. Yeah, yeah. But that is also part of the, an argument about land because the Putnams are relatively wealthy. So, you know, and then they're worried about somebody else trying to take their land or take their wood or whatever it might be. It's, it, so all these sort of petty worries are played out on this very dangerous um, supernatural stage. Mm. And, and it starts to, and it ends up with people being killed. Yeah. It's, yeah, and yeah. It's, absolutely, it's really horrible. <laughs> it's a yeah it's a it's a it's a really just soul-destroying play but it's just one of the most amazing pieces of work i think that's ever ever been written you know if you're doing an oh i show. i think it absolutely is and it came from a place of obviously great anger mm. um, oh, huge thing miller as well um and it wasn't necessarily it wasn't welcomed i mean Elia Kazan tried to um, stop him from doing it, him and his wife. They said, are you really going to do this? Thing? Yeah. And this was all, all the people being blacklisted and, and you know, the people who had, you know, turned state's evidence, so to speak, in the McCarthy trials. It, it was absolutely awful, awful. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's very easy to see that around us oh. now. Yeah, it's, um, they kind of reminded me of, especially the first scene when, when the Putnams are arguing about where, where's my lumber, you know, all, all the land between the river and here is my, is my land. It just reminded me a little bit of the Putnams, especially reminded me of children, you know, is that they, they were just like grown up children still arguing over really, really petty things. And these, these, these are grown, these are grown men and women. And it, it just, it's that essential need for something or that essential yeah i think you're right but i i think you know as an as a, an older person who's older than you i think there is um i think it's a bit of a myth that um young people emerging into adulthood regard um true adults as people who somehow resolved the the petty squabbles of their youth. When they say that's mine and that's mine, <laughs> um, they've got different ways of arguing about it. Yeah. Eventually, they are probably even. I mean, you know, even more petty, particularly when it comes to you know property and money. And mm. Yeah, big chunks of stuff. Yeah, no, I, people don't play fair at all. <laughs> they don't play fair. They don't, they don't, they don't, yeah, they can yeah. play fair and be poor. You know, that, I'm afraid that's. I'm afraid that that's, a, that's sadly true of a lot of a lot of people and lies behind many people's politics. It's, it's just stay, stay away, stay away. Well, being able to, you know, get stuff and keep it. Yeah. <laughs> Not share. <laughs> no, it's, that's very true. It's very true. Um, but I suppose, how on earth did you guys do it? Because uh, Richard told, again, in that interview with Matt Wolf, he said, that once you guys sort of rehearsed the whole thing from start to finish, fully polished, he was in the corner just shaking and crying and just not knowing what to do. And Yael came up to him and said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, we have to do this twice on a Wednesday and a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are we going to do this? And how did you do it? Sometimes twice in one day. Uh, yeah, we did it twice on Wednesday and Saturday. And we had about 20, 25 minutes off between shows. Because it, because of when it started, I mean, it, it was really. I mean, you know, I mean, it it took a yeah. I mean, it took a lot out of you uh, physically. It was very demanding for everybody, mm. um, and emotionally, it was pretty demanding as well. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think that when you first start doing something. Um, it's always more exhausting. I remember somebody, someone once saying to me that why being on tour was always so tiring mm. um, when you're doing a week here and a week there and a week there. And um, it's, it's, there's a, quite a simple thing that if you're moving constantly into new digs, 
yeah. staying in a different place. And it takes about a week for you to not have to check where door handles are or remember how where the light switch is. Yeah. Till your body's learned it. And when your body's learned it, that's fine. But when you're on tour, you, the moment you learn it is you have to go off and do go <laughs> off and be somewhere else and learn it all over again. And that's very exhausting. And I, I think that the, the same does apply to doing um, to actually performing plays. The, the the first couple of weeks of doing it, you are learning where the light switches are. And then after a while, all that becomes almost automatic. It's something that you actually do have to guard against a little bit because obviously it's the first time it's happened for any of the characters in any of the stories, but, mm. but um, really all you're doing is putting one foot in front of the other yeah. until you get to the end. Um, and it should be exhausting. Mm. You, know, it, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you've paid 25 quid, 50 quid to come see me in a show, then the least I can do is to turn up and give give you give you everything I've got for that period yeah. of time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that um, it was probably, I mean, I mean, Richard's Richard's performance was extraordinarily demanding, physically demanding. Yeah, he's so um, much to do. Yeah, and he's so much to do. And um, more than anybody else, I think. Um, but it was very, yeah. I can, I can see why he would be more like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. <laughs> um, but I mean, for all of us, it was a bit like that. But yeah. in the end, you're not working, you know, in a coal mine. It's all right. Yeah, it's just have to make sure make sure you get a good night's sleep. Make sure you uh, eat your greens, and you'll probably be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I always I always thought about you guys, well, Richard especially, but the whole cast just waking up on a Wednesday or a Saturday morning, just going, ah, "Here we go again, two shows." Yeah, but there's a kind of there's a kind of pride in it as well, isn't there? Oh, of course. Yeah, like, this is gonna kill us. Whoa, well, you know, we're, we're great heroes of the, of the West End going out and plying our trade and, you know. At the old Vic as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, here we are doing this amazing. But, I mean, yeah, yeah you've, always got, you've always got to um, tread a careful path between thinking that you're some sort of artistic hero and mm. remembering that you, you get to show off for a living. That's true. That's very true. Um, do, you, do you think that? Ex well, actually, no. Actually, that 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 question can wait for a sec. Uh, just quickly, um, the old Vic. What was it like performing there? I aspire to be there uh, performing one day. Uh, the old Vic. Yeah, the, the, the old Vic. Yeah. Was, yeah. What's it like working in that theatre? Oh, it's fantastic! It's fantastic. I mean, we were mic'd for that one. Um, yeah. Because partly because we were doing it in the round and the, the acoustics of it were difficult, so that we. But I think radio mics are pretty standard fare now in big theatres. Mm. Yeah, I find it slightly a bit of a shame because I prefer to just do it with your voice. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a funny old building. It's a bit of a barn, um, and yeah. I think the way it's organised, or the way it was then, um, actually made it a bit more human because. It, it's so it's so the, the stalls there are so cavernous mm. um, uh, but yeah you were aware of the history of the building and you know yeah. it was the national theater and all that Lawrence Olivier mm. John Gilgood yeah Kevin Spacey <laughs> was at the time yeah yeah oh god I was such a, I was mm? such a big fan I'm such a big fan not anymore oh, extraordinary extraordinary actor yeah, I mean, if, if this, you know, if I may ask this, you know, what was, did you guys, I mean, we, obviously when that sort of came to the surface, did you guys have any trouble with him or were you surprised when the stories came out or were you kind of thinking? Um, I think that was, no, the, all the scandal with, with, with Kevin Spacey came after we'd finished. Okay. Um, I mean, he was, they were shooting um, House of Cards. Yeah at the time and he he came over right at the very end of the run to see the show because he hadn't been able to but that was before any of that 
when yeah. that stuff came up. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, Jack had worked with him before. Um, he's, I mean, I don't really want to talk about Kevin Space that much, but I mean, you know, yeah, fair enough. his reputation was very well established. Yeah, I was such a big fan, and now I, I don't, I don't like talking about him anymore. It's it is a shame. It is a real shame. Anyway, moving on. So, uh, so I suppose that whole experience of, you know, the the physical demands, the emotional demands, the working on this particular project. Do you think? Do you think that changed you as an actor in any way, or was it just, you know, and I don't want to say it was just like another job for you because I'm sure it wasn't like any other job. You know, this was full on. Do you think? Do you think it changed you in a way? Did a part of you? Did you discover a new part of yourself when you after you did that? Job? I suppose I don't. I wouldn't. I, no, not really. I think that would be going too far. I mean, I think anything that it was a very it was a very big experience. I mean, we played to full houses for however long it was, three months. You know day in, day out. Um, we had standing ovations every single performance. Yeah, rightfully so. Uh, rightfully. And it was very, very grueling and very satisfying. And I made some very good friends. Um, it was a it was a, a battle and it was a fantastic thing to be a, a part of. Um, and I think anything like that changes you up to a point. Um, and it's a bigger it's a bigger part of who I am as a professional actor than mm. some other productions that I've been involved in, which you know, frankly, sort of just rolled past, and I don't even remember I did them. But but um, yeah, it was a it was a big event. I don't know how. I think I think it's interesting as somebody who does tend to come to things from a or try to come to things from a sort of more intellectual viewpoint, or I had done in the past. To have that so sort of fulsomely and volubly rejected was a, a bit of a wake up um, in a good way, you know. Um, and being put in a to be to find yourself in a position where the only real alternative was listening and then getting on with it. Mm. And I think that's that's good good for anyone. Um, but there are some people that you know. That do that anyway, um, and sometimes they do need to thrust themselves forward a bit more. But um, yeah, it's certainly something that I always, I would always cherish very much. Yeah, it's actually a lot of the theatre I did. I hadn't done any for the last eight years. Just <laughs> really, it's just because I just happened to find myself doing telly and film stuff all the time, and whenever the theatre stuff has cropped up, it's then I don't know. Yeah, I haven't done it for ages. And then the, there was some stuff, there were some possibilities and then the pandemic turned up and then there was no more theatre allowed. <laughs> <laughs> it's something, there is, there is a vague plan for something that, um, that might come at the beginning of next year, but we'll see about that. I'm sure you'll be back on stage. I'm sure you will. Uh, oh, I do miss it. I do miss it. I mean, I basically was, when I was, from the time I was at university, so when I was 18, 19, until, until the crucible, I mean, I've done two or three plays every single year. Mm. <laughs> the last eight years, I haven't done any, so it's really quite strange. I'm not quite used to it yet. Yeah, I'm sure you'll I, be- I don't want to be used to it. No, you, you won't, it will, it will come back for you. It will come back for you. You don't need, no need to worry about that. And I think just, just to finish on, there's sort of a, a sort of a lighter note, because we talked about the crucible and it can't help but talk about some very, very heavy material today some dark stuff but you know it's been great to hear it don't get me wrong but i'm curious to know um how did you approach your role in the it crowd as the transvestite judge <laughs> performing in quotes a gay musical called gay <laughs> how did you go around what was that experience like for you well mostly about that i think that i remember mostly about that experience but how extraordinarily uncomfortable those stiletto boots were <laughs> God, they hurt. It was just horrible. Um, yeah. In sliding, sliding forwards. Down, and they're about six inch heels and then very tight around the front. Oh, God, I don't know how people wear those, those shoes. So that, that hurt a lot. Um, 
I, know, I, I met Ash, um, I don't think I met Graham Linehan for it in the first place. I think I just met Ash and re recorded it. But, um, oh, I mean, it, I mean it, it was ex just extremely high camp and, and rather, <laughs> rather broad strokes, I think one could say with that role. I don't think there's had a, a very deep intellectual basis. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I often wondered. You obviously you knew the the part you were playing, but did you get the script and did you ever think, you know, is there any chance I might just get out of this? <laughs> is there any chance I could, might not want to do this? At all? No, not really. I tell you what, though, I, I think there are there are a couple of times um, in my career where you people have asked you to do something which is sort of potentially physically exposing or whatever it might be. Mm. And actually, it doesn't really happen to actors that much. Mm. But for younger men these days, they need to get their kit off more than they used to. And there's a huge amount of pressure for these having these slightly ridiculous ripped bodies and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But for women, it has always been like that. Yeah. Absolutely always. Always. So if something turns up and they say, this is the thing, and by the way, do you mind doing this? Then my, my attitude is to take one for the team. Take one for the girls, because they do it all the time. They do it without ever mentioning it, without ever worrying about it. Yeah. Um, whether it's that they're asked to do sex scenes or just the way that they're asked to present themselves. And so if one time in 50, I have to wear high heels and makeup and um, potentially make myself look pseudo-sexually ridiculous, well, fuck it, it's not that much to ask, is it? Yeah, exactly. And they, they didn't ask you to do too many takes, did they? <laughs> Um, I can't remember. That I don't know. Probably not because the the things like the IT crowd work on minimal budget and they just have to get it done and move on very very quickly. Yeah. So would you say that if actors are in a position like that, if they if they are just in a job which they just think which they kind of want to be over very quickly, just say just, just get your head down to get on with it and just do your job. So well, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect anyone to do anything that they're not comfortable with. I just I mean, you know, if you're genuinely not comfortable, then don't take the job. But it is worth asking how compromised you truly are. Mm. You know, it, and I'll tell you what, the most compromised I've ever been, I did a film called um, the, the, A Cure for Wellness, um, which is um, Gore Lubinsky, who did the Paris the Caribbean film. Oh. <clears throat> and um, it was, all takes place in a in a fictional um, sort of health spa in the Swiss Alps, hmm. goes to take the waters. And it seems that taking the waters makes people have weird hallucinations. And it's, uh, it was a sort of horror movie that took place you know, in, a, in, a, in a spa. Hmm. Yeah. And I was playing the, the sort of uh, sidekick to uh, Jason Isaacs, who was the sort of head honcho. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice part, it's a nice role. It's lovely filming in Germany. And I've been away from um, I've been away from filming for a couple of weeks and got back to Germany. And it was sort of early in the morning, five o'clock, cool, you know, you're on set and a bit bleary-eyed, you've got a coffee in one hand and you know, mm -hmm. place of scrambled egg in the other. And there was Gore, the, the director. And he went, oh, hi, Adrian, great to see you back. How have you been? Good? You good? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, he said. So we were thinking, would you like maybe another scene? We're thinking maybe there's another scene you could do later in the movie. And I said, oh, well, yeah, sure. Always up for another scene. That's great. So, so Dan, our hero, he's going through the sanatorium. And we don't know. He's been drinking the waters. We don't know if he's hallucinating or what. And... He comes into this room, you know, he's seeing all sorts of weird stuff and he comes around the corner into this room and there's you being sodomized by a deer. And I'm there with my coffee in one hand and my scrambled egg in the other hand going, it's five o'clock in the morning, it's fucking waking me up. What, what, what are you talking about, sodomized by a deer? I mean, that's not you every day, is it? <laughs> you, you could see the look of surprise on my face. I hadn't said anything at this point. And he went, Oh no, not a real deer. It's like a guy in a deer mask. Yeah, like, oh, like that okay. makes all the difference. <laughs> That's fine. 
But what anyway, is, what is I agreed to do it. Um, they didn't didn't put it in the movie. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, that was another one. It was like, okay, all right, I'll take it for the team. Oh my god! Well, actually, the thing was when we came to shoot it, um, it's interesting how these these sort of layers of embarrassment or worry or how they can affect you. But there was this guy, the guy who was supposed to be wearing the deer mask, uh-huh. is absolutely enormous, hairy Turkish man whose name I, I can't remember, who didn't really, who did, evidently didn't really speak very much German or English. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and it also turned out he was relatively religious, and I, I don't think he had any idea what they were going to be asking him to do mm. in this scene. And he was really, really uncomfortable and worried about it. Right. And that just immediately made me what's like be be the one going, no, don't worry, it'll be fine. You know, <laughs> it was really weird. I'm the one on all fours for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, um, just take this thing and just pretend you're doing this to me. And it's like, yeah, exactly. And then we're all surrounded by all these people in white robes with hoods up, you know, who are watching us. It was hilarious. Oh. Anyway, as I said, it didn't make the final cut. So, but that was literally, that was literally the last shot that I did on that movie. So they, they literally fucked me up the ass and sent me home. Oh, there you go. There you go. I didn't actually. We pretended. No, it's pretended. Pretended. Anyway, on that happy note, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I, I think it's, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to get into a position where you are, where you re- literally feel used or compromised. But on the other hand, you know, there is a way of doing these things where you can feel comfortable. And the vast majority of times, um, the directors will defer to the performers Mm. Um, uh, uh, there are so many stories of 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 women particularly being put in a position where they feel there's a great deal of pressure being put on them it's very very easy to turn that back and these days there are you know intimacy coordinators and all sorts around the place yeah yeah you know like the whole me too movement i think has done some incredible work I think to oh yeah I think and it's actually it's very very important and I, I you know I just we just need to take people's concerns seriously and it's you know it's always possible to yeah. make these things work um, exactly it's, it's pretty well it's pretty well understood good and just one last quick fire question if I may yeah. um, for any actors watching would you say learn your lines. We're, we're, we're like obviously learning lines but before you start work so you learn your lines before you go into the first day of rehearsal or before the first day on set or is it something um, you do along the way uh, well I think it's something that you do along the way because because you don't really know your lines just by knowing the words knowing mm-hmm. the words and knowing your, knowing the character are not the same thing mm-hmm. I think that there are people I mean pe- some people have very strong feelings on this I don't have very strong feelings on it I don't think that learning the line, learning the words verbatim before you start rehearsal can ever be a bad thing. But some people say they feel it is because they want to learn it more organically during the process. Um, if you're if you're filming, you don't have any choice. Mm-hmm. You've got to, otherwise, you're just never going to get it done. No. Um, there isn't any time to learn it on the set because mm-hmm. you're having a camera rehearsal and you're shooting it. Mm-hmm. So I, I suppose I would say as a rule of thumb, the more familiarity that you have with the material, the better it is for everybody. And if that means you turn up on day one with the whole lot in your head, that's great. Mm-hmm. If you're comfortable more or less knowing what you're doing on day one and, you, and you'll soak up the rest of it over the rehearsal period, that's fine as well. The only the only thing I would say is don't let yourself get in a position where you're holding other people back because you've still got a book in your hand or you're tripping things up. But you've got to realise as well, having said that, that people go at different paces. Yeah. There is, dyslexia is a real thing. Yeah. As people get older, they find it harder to remember things and retain things. So, you know, I, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, but yeah, basically... The greater the familiarity, the better for everybody. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think that's a really good place to 
to, to call it here today. Um, yeah, this has been <laughs> this, this has been an amazing conversation to have with you, Adrian. Thank you so much. We've talked well, about. Nice it is. It's very nice to meet you properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've talked about dark materials, and we've ended on nice. Nice story of you being asked to be sodomized by wild animals. <laughs> but I think you could see why some people think, God, these yeah, it's just a session, isn't it? You know. Yes, that he's I you <laughs> it's those sort of parts, I suppose, people look at our industry and think, God, you actors, you just what sort of stuff do you get up to? And sometimes you say, Yeah, we do get we we get up to a lot of funky stuff sometimes. We do, but I mean, frankly, I think there's an awful lot of people who get up to much darker stuff who that you <laughs> yeah <laughs> do it on stage so <laughs> anyway but again thank you so much man if you just hang around after i end the recording i'll say goodbye to you one to one and right. and uh yeah so thank you guys for watching thank you for listening uh this has been the uncensored critic and i'll be back soon thank you so much thank you again right. Adrian. see ya